0: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or Mc Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.
0: Welcome to episode 110 of the Highly Relevant Podcast, a U.S. Latino show where I interview the people and discuss the moments that are shaping our American and Latino pop culture. I'm your host, Jack Rico, and if it's your first time listening to this show, thank you for discovering us. So, on the podcast this week, uh, there's a Spanish singer I want to be talking about. Her name is Rosalia. She is quickly becoming a phenom in the Latin music scene, and... The New York Times just included her song Con Altura featuring J Balvin in their top song picks of the week. And the reason that I'm kind of surprised about that is because, remember, it's the New York Times. It's not El Diario La Prensa. Uh, La Opinión. And it's hard for Spanish language artists to cross over into the giant of newspapers so for the music artists to, to see that is because they're totally in tune with the vibe of what's happening in the latino music scene right now which is awesome so um, i decided to bring in isabella Raigosa, she's a music journalist for rolling stone magazine to give me a primer on who is rosalia what do i need to know where's she headed to and so uh, we're going to be talking about that then i'm uh, talking to mike Sargent. You guys know Mike Sargent. Him and I went to go see Shazam, and we're gonna give you our first reaction on this movie. Is it terrible, like some of you think? Or is it one of the shining bright lights of movies to come out in 2019? Um, And then one of the things that I wanna do from time to time is promote other Latino podcasts. And I wanna do that by inviting them to come on the show and to help expand your podcast tastes, and uh, also to kind of know who's out there that that is uh, trying to do the same stuff we're doing, which is create Latino representation in different uh, types of mediums. So I decided to uh, begin with Nick Leiber, who is the co-host of Don't Interrupt Me, Por Favor. It's a bilingual podcast, and it's one that you should subscribe to. But let's begin by talking about Rosalia. <laughs> So, for the last couple of weeks, I've been hearing about this Spanish millennial singer named Rosalia. Uh, the first time she came into my consciousness, I was on Twitter, noticed that she was trending like in the top three. I clicked on it and it was a video of her at a performance at a gala in Spain where if you looked at the comments and the reactions, it was like God revealed himself to be a woman and her name was Rosalia. Seriously, it was so crazy and I was like, okay, I gotta pay attention to this woman. And then finally, just this past week, uh, the New York Times selected her song Con Altura with J Balvin as one of the songs Uh, that you should be listening to this week and it's hard to get into the new york times so that's why i'm bringing in isabella raigosa she's a music journalist from rolling stone magazine to kind of give me a primer on who she is isabella what was the first time you remember hearing about her
2: uh i remember that she really stood out to me uh because i felt like uh since she was sort of representing this uh you know centuries centuries old uh, folk genre. I mm-hmm. mean, or is inspired by it. I thought it would like bring a really good diversity to the list. But at that time, uh, you know, she hadn't really done like the crossover yet. So we kind of had to pass it.
0: <laughs> right. So what is it exactly that everyone seems to be so thrilled and excited about just kind of even talking about
2: her well another uh, standout moment i think that also possibly helped uh with just the global appeal is that one that she was brought into jay balvin's uh album to uh, star in a track um uh, i think that the way that she obviously um, is sort of uh, leading this genre, uh, well, is inspired by flamenco. Um, I think it's a it, it's a genre that um, the mainstream is very conscious of, but hadn't really kind of delve into it in a commercial way. I think the last commercial band that did flamenco was the Gypsy Kings, but mm-hmm. obviously because of her like fluidity with you know doing you know, trap, like her her really hot uh, track, uh, Malamente um, has uh, track elements. I think that the way that she's just using that urban approach, uh, it really just translates well with like our contemporary Latin pop that is resonating today. And because she's also linking up with pretty huge artists.
0: You know, it's interesting because for a long time, like, for example, the flamenco sound, I remember it going back all the way to the early 2000s. There was an artist by the name of Shalim Mm -hmm. uh, that was um, Emilio Stefan uh, had him under his wing Mm. and he had put out an album and much of the album had a lot of these sort of gypsy Spaniard type of flamenco like sounds Um, that he used to get a couple of records to number one, and I think even his album was at number one. And I I feel like people were toying with it for a little while, but never to this extent. Mm -hmm. And I've always felt that Latino, the Latino or the U.S. Latino sound or the Latin American sound and the Caribbean sound never really meshed very well with Spain's flamenco vibes, either whether they're Mm -hmm. flamenco rap or flamenco pop. I just never thought that they really embraced it. Do you think that's changing now? You think Rosalia is an anomaly, uh, an exception, a unicorn? Or is do you think this is going to be something where everyone is going to start looking into flamenco as maybe the new sound, either to complement reggaeton or to replace it?
2: I think it's both, not to replace it necessarily, but to complement it. I do think that she did something very interesting with like that fusion and her second album El Ma- Mal Querer definitely reflected that balance between using like a subtle urban approach with flamenco uh, I mean when we even look at Cuba Cuba is a very uh, unique example because they have a lot of like rumba which is very much influenced by like that, that Spanish mm-hmm. uh, genre but then like Afro Latin jazz is very just Cuban so I think that there have been a couple like caribbean um uh, regions with music that have meshed that um spanish sound but we haven't really encountered it much lately and um which is funny because as i was uh kind of, like, delving into Rosalía's, like, on, on recent news, one of the uh, festival producers of Sonar in Spain kind of dubbed her, she's the Rihanna of Flamenco. No!
0: <laughs> like, Seriously?
2: So <laughs> I mean, that's what he said, right? <laughs> that's what he said. That's what but it made me, like, it and made me think a lot because what I actually thought about when, with like her, her um, artwork and her videos and like album covers and the way she, you know, presents herself with her costumes, it kind of gives me the vibe of, you know, that, um, 90s, uh, Romeo and Juliet film, <laughs> yeah. like that kind of like classic literature, like tradition, uh-huh. but with that urban feel, like it kind of, that reminded me so much of like how she's taking it. And I do think she's very unique.
0: Well, I was just going to ask you that. So, do you think she's legit? I mean, is, is she here for the long run, or is this like a fad, like just a moment in time?
2: Well, that's always a good question, right? You're asking the one million dollar question, yeah, <laughs> because we always want to know, like, well, there's um,
0: Anita is involved, you know, uh, yeah. Becky G's having some sort of like renaissance within the Spanish yeah. language, you know, space. I, I just, I just can't tell them apart sometimes, where. Not sound-wise, it's just you look at them and you go, well, they're young, they speak Mm -hmm. Spanish, they got that urban feel, this isn't anything original, except maybe for the flamenco part. So that's Mm -hmm. why I'm saying, is there enough space for all these female new rising stars to make their mark in what is usually a very uh, male-dominated industry?
2: -hmm mm-hmm. Well, we've seen recently, I mean I guess even just with the Latin Grammy Awards, not only did she uh, was she nominated for five uh, uh, Latin Grammy nominations and won two of them, that's extremely impressive for a very relatively new artist. Um, a lot of the categories in, in that featured a well-balanced distribution of male and female. and then we also see like you said Anita and Becky G. And Carol G. Carol so G I...
0: <laughs> with a K. <laughs> the, <G's. laughs> the G you know sisters.
2: Know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, I really do feel that there is a huge uh, sort of a, a presence and empowerment of, I guess, women um, artists coming up. And I think that um, in terms of just that gen- gender uh um, you know, present. I think that uh, hopefully, I mean, I want to say that they're they're here to stay, and I think we had a conversation about this before. I think mm-hmm. that that in twenty eighteen and in twenty nineteen, and I think it's gonna. Uh, they're definitely taking the reign, and they're they're doing very original stuff as well. And I think that the artists, like even just like J Balvin kind of who is one of the most globally streamed artists in Spotify. I think he was like number one for at one point. And then like right now he's like at number two, which is extremely impressive. Uh, You know, like they're, they're doing a bunch of collaborations. So I think that there's, and he does stuff with Anita as well. There's a lot of respect. There's a lot of the, like the really hot shot heavyweight artists that are actually also paying respect to women and also giving, you know, sharing that space. And I think that that's very valid for uh women to continue just having a strong presence in pop culture
0: so for someone that that is listening to the podcast right now it's like hey i really haven't heard of this rosalia chick uh you know what's a good primer to kind of get people into rosalia
2: well the the first song i would say would be malamente which is her uh intro uh track uh the first track from her second album from her 2018 album that came out in uh, uh, November el mal querer uh, I think that's a very accessible song mm-hmm. because it, it's very pop as well oh okay. and that's the song that also was the one that got like the five nominations <laughs> um it's extremely catchy it's such an amazing introduction to the album the the second song of the album goes more into the tradition of flamenco which um, is uh, could could not be super like easily digestible but I think it, it just like it's so fluid and Mm -hmm. the whole album is only 30 minutes so it's not heavily weighed on like the whole kind of like hey you're throwing something super heavy and super new to me but it's because it's such it has such a pop formula a lot of the track and a great concept as well and a really awesome producer behind the album um, only 30 minutes I think it's so easily digestible I think that's why it's um, the album is just extremely well crafted I mean I, uh, I I actually have it on my like when I run on, my, on the treadmill I always listen to the <laughs> album it's such a huge booster
0: <laughs> you know I gotta tell you something you know the uh, New York Times recently came out with their you know weekly playlist of songs and what i love about the new york times what they're doing is they're going global with their playlists mm-hmm. uh it's not just you know hip-hop or country music or pop music from america they're really picking from everywhere in the world and kind of creating their own cornucopia of of sound and and one of them was rosalia's new song with jay balvin uh, featuring El Guincho. It's called Con Altura. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. let's listen to a little bit of it right now. El de molo canto con Honduras.
2: Dicen una estrella, una figura. Dector aprendí la sabrosura. Nunca he visto una joya tan pura.
3: Esto pa' que quede lo que yo hago dura. Con altura.
1: demasiadas noches de travesura. Con altura. Vivo rápido y no tengo cura. Con altura. Iré
0: joven pa' la sepultura. Con altura. Esto pa' que quede lo que yo hago dura. Con altura. demasiadas
1: noches de travesura. Con altura
0: i gotta be honest with you i'm trying so hard to really like this song and i just can't seem to get why this is such a hot song um what is your particular taste have you heard con altura and what are your thoughts on it
2: i really liked it actually i guess maybe because i am a a, be- a very big fan of j balvin it's extremely reggaeton like uh, very uh smooth um i think it's super catchy uh I know that a lot of the songs that, like, just released that are, like, making the rounds and, in, in, like, these famous playlists or, like, topping the charts, sometimes it takes more than one play. But, like, I mean, I, I thought it was amazing. And El, El Gincho, I think he's, like, a fantastic producer. The, the way that he, like, samples his beats and he loops them. And it's it's just, I think it's very smooth. And it's also super dance-worthy. So. i liked it
0: jay balvin right now is collaborating with so many people that i think he's look i think he's he's in that weird zone where he could become overexposed Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. which is a concern that i have because i really want him to last a while but i think he's collaborating with so many people that it's going to come to a point there's no more artists to collaborate with he's going to be going into some weird genres just to kind of make a collaboration and I think what we need more is more more J Balvin albums, not J Balvin collaborations. Wow! What are your thoughts on J Balvin's overexposure, over amount uh, of collaborations? And do you think that just because J Balvin's on a track, it's automatically amazing?
2: <laughs> That's. I mean, you're bringing up really good points. Uh, and I never really thought about like just him being overexposed where he burns himself out. Um, I think right now he's like super hot. He's like extremely trending and his momentum hasn't slowed. Uh, yes, of course, there is a risk that he's uh, bringing too many artists into the picture, but I do feel like a lot of the artists that he has been collaborating with, I mean, in the case of Anita, and Rosalia for example that I feel because I was already aware of them before I feel he's sort of playing the role of like a Diplo because Diplo also did that a lot with a bunch of artists from like all over the world in Brazil in like you know just India and like I mean ev- everywhere and I mean I was having the same thoughts like hey this guy's like picking artists and who knows how many of those artists are gonna like have like a lasting power um, yeah right now yeah um, well I, I I right now i um, might be a little you know biased because i haven't seen a uh or or, 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 a track that i'm like oh hell no i hate that track (laughs) really
0: so wait a minute so any j Balvin song that you've heard so far has been a hit
2: no i'm not saying that it's been a hit like for you for you don't, don't no 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 i'm not saying i'm not i'm just saying that i don't hate it i mean either it's like okay like it's not like really a standout it's like whatever or it's a hit
0: but they're digestible at least you still they're listen digestible.
2: to it That's what <laughs> so far you know i mean, i'm not like what i've heard i mean like that song reggaeton uh, for example the one that he just got like the, his the, his one of his uh, previous singles, I think he dropped it in November. Mm-hmm. That one, okay, I can not tell you it was not my favorite, but I didn't hate it either.
0: And a lot of the stuff that you're listening to are singles right. with a bunch of artists that I've never heard of. Is it that they're paying wads of money to Jay Balvin to buy sort of his name and popularity association to these new artists? Or is it that Jay Balvin really truly believes in these artists and wants to help them? Or C, these artists, just because I don't know them doesn't mean they're not superstars. Maybe they're superstars and Jay Balvin just wants to work with a superstar. Which one is it?
2: I think it's a little bit of all three of them mm. uh obviously i don't think it has to do exclusively like well actually it's just for marketing purposes because i do feel that if it was strictly for the reason of marketing and like let's say this particular artist that he's featuring is buzzing in their uh, certain uh country i don't think that I, I i there's like we spoke about it before the difference between being authentic and inauthentic i do kind of feel that he really does uh have like this you know global approach and he's very receptive uh to uh even experiment within like his genre a bit not like diverging too far off his brand so he's kind of like a curator where i feel that there is like that the, he does have maybe some creative freedom, but not like maybe a hundred percent. Maybe I'm sure that there's like a huge, like uh, in just like uh, the industry is behind a lot of these decisions that he's making. Because right now he's like, I mean, like I, m- I mentioned, he's number two, the most listened to artist on Spotify globally, and like that already says a lot about him. And the the thing about the singles, there's a lot of artists in in urban music that are doing that. They're just dropping film, singles and not dropping albums. Like, yeah, what uh, is bad, that? Bad, 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 Bad Bunny was dropping mad singles before he, and he was already like a bil- like a four billion streamed man before he even released his debut. Anita, as well, she is extremely phenomenally famous in Brazil. Is just crossing over here, and I was already aware of Anita before she collaborated with J Balvin. So yeah, you were writing
0: she- articles on her already.
2: Yeah. So it, it could possibly be like a lot of the artists that J Bobbin has connected with, I've recognized a lot of them before. And it could be because my focus in my writing is in Latin music. So I'm kind of always just like searching about like, who's the, who are making the rounds in, you know, streaming services, who's who like or in YouTube, like who's getting, you know, who like who's giving who a shout out. Right. So, so um I mean I think that like he he's collaborating with a lot of hard artists and Rosalia um, is buzzing hard like you know she's playing coachella already,
0: you know. Isabella Raigosa, music journalist, you can read her articles on Rolling Stone magazine and uh, Vice's noisy music. Thank you so much, Jack. <laughs> And before Mike Sargent and I give you our first reaction of Shazam, let's take a quick whirl into what other movies are making their premiere this weekend. It's okay now. Are you back? Back from where? Pet Cemetery, a Stephen King horror remake about a family brought back from the dead.
2: What's going on? There's a place Rage brings things back. The sensation, moving backwards. Even though we're moving forwards, getting further from what's getting nearer.
0: High life. Father and daughter stranded in space.
2: Break the laws of nature. You'll pay for it. Would you look at that
1: crazy white man?
3: Folks in this town, want blacks to stay in their own schools. I'm here to protect my family. So all the better is you don't get my work.
2: Same God made you, made me.
0: Best of enemies, Tajari P. Henson and Sam Rockwell. What else you need to
3: know?
2: As long as the CP Ellis's of the world keep getting their way, ain't nothing gonna change.
3: She looked at me like I got some kind of monster.
2: Talking about her.
0: Hey, it's Jack Rico. I'm here with Mike Sargent inside the AMC Lowe's 34th Street. As we're seeing the end credits of Shazam in an advanced screening here in New York. And Mike, I have to say that this was one of the most fun experiences I've had in all of 2019 so far.
1: Thoughts? Abs- well, absolutely. And it's funny because as you're watching it, even when the credits were coming out, everything I knew about this film, you feel like disney of disney dc yeah warner brothers warner brothers dc is what i meant to say warner brothers and, and the dc because batman was so dark and it was successful they thought all of them had to be dark and this movie is exactly what it should be it's its own thing it's funny but it's actually got a real story it's got a bunch of characters it things i didn't expect to happen happen I, I have to say, this is probably, you, you had said it, it's probably the most enjoyable film I've seen this year so far.
0: How would you rank this uh, this film Among in the them? DC Universe amongst all the other superhero films that they've done I, so I'd far?
1: Say, I'd say in its own way, it's as good as Wonder Woman or uh, Aquaman. You know, both Wonder Woman and Aquaman had their own thing. They had their own tone, their, their own kind of superhero story, and it was different. And I think that that's what they should all be different. People read certain characters. People love a certain comic book title because of what's going on there. You may you may love comics in general, but what you like is the variety of the kinds of stories and characters. And this is sort
0: of like Big
1: meets Superman.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, as we're watching, well as we're watching Shazam here and doing a first reaction, there is another. F- And credit, hold on. yourself up, buddy. You're gonna find someone. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. Because there's plenty of fish in the sea.
1: (laughs) Of course, it's not real. I can't talk to fish. Even if I could, I mean, honestly, what could we do with that
3: that's cool? I don't know, maybe uh, command uh, an army of billions in the ocean?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, that's not that cool. There's two end credits that you should stick around for. But honestly, I don't know if they're as good as the Marvel ones. And it looks like DC decided to do what Marvel's template of doing the credits after the scene, which DC said it wouldn't do before.
1: Well, I think they have to. I think this is the audience. And and look, Marvel got there first, and they have showed you how to do it. Now just do it your way. You know, I think DC was smarter with the superhero TV series because they they got they hit their groove with that before Marvel got any of their heroes on TV. And I think it worked and they worked because, you know, Arrow and all those shows had that Smallville.
0: They had their own thing. I would equate Shazam to like kick ass in sure, terms of movies sure. that are superhero genres but they're really comedies uh masked and guys within a superhero film it's not a superhero film first and then some sprinkle with some comedy here this is a straight up comedy it is but you know it's, it's like a family a, comedy it too. it is
1: well what i think is interesting is that this strikes a tone that this is not really for little little kids you right. know they don't show any blood but people get their heads bitten off. There's some pretty grisly deaths. They didn't pull back on the action and the violence. People die in this movie. People get killed Mm -hmm. in this movie. People get maimed. Now, you don't see the blood.
0: But, you know, the action was pretty strong, I thought. Let's layer this out. Let's talk about casting first. Okay. I thought the kids were fantastic. There was a diversity of children there. Asian Uh, Latino, African American Even the parents I think one of them was Samoan The Mm -hmm. other one was a Latina Mm -hmm. mom With Mm -hmm. a Latina child They're all foster kids Which really plays to the uh, family uh, audience uh, Very well Uh, I thought the action was great I thought the CGI was fun I was really skeptical about Zachary uh, Levy uh, At first Because I wasn't exactly sure If he fit like a superhero type But I mean, he was playing a comedian within that suit, and I think that played well. Well, I think I think the conceit of it,
1: the idea—I don't think in the original, I don't know the source material as well. I like it's like vague in my mind, but I thought—I remember like a TV series I saw on on video. For, uh, well, I the remember 70, the cartoon the Shazam as well? Yeah, well, there you know, was cartoon, but I thought Shazam was a completely different person. What they did here is they make it—he turns into Shazam, but he's still billy batson right and so i think that was a smart move because that's the conceit that the big conceit that that he's still a 14 year old right but he's got a fully grown body and all these
0: so so is what i'm trying to understand here is where does dc go from here is every movie moving forward because this is obviously going to work it's going to be the number one movie at the box office so does every movie from now on is it a comedy are well, there going to be any more dark sort uh, of i think there will be dark, films but i think they
1: will be i think if they're smart they'll really follow the marvel playbook the marvel movies have always had humor but some more than others some a darker tone than others some more uh spy genre some a little more fish out of water genre some a little more straight comedy genre they they were going for something with the first thor they got uh what's his name
0: chris hemsworth
1: no, no, no! The director, uh, Shakespearean. They because it was Kenneth Branagh. At, Kenneth Branagh. They because it was an Asgardian. They were smart to to get let each film have its own tone, just like the comics did. And I think DC's if they're smart, that's what they're going to so do.
0: So they're going to go ahead and do more comedies, or at least ingrain
3: yes, some not take
0: more com- so not take itself so seriously. which worked perfectly well with Batman but doesn't seem to be working so much Well
1: Batman was the dark character he was the dark knight he was it was a detec- he was a detective and that's what he did he solved crimes he's out at night that's Batman Superman's doesn't need to be dark Wonder Woman could be it doesn't need to be dark, but it could be a lot of things that has nothing to do with
0: Batman. As everyone has left the uh, theater, we're yes, the only people there. here. The theater is actually <laughs> ours at this moment, and credits uh, left. Let's wrap this up, and uh, how would you summarize this film for the people that are... Curious about Shazam? Never really thought about Shazam as a serious superhero within the pantheon right. of superheroes. Whether this is too much of a of a joke of a superhero film? Where do you put this one? And should people go check it out?
1: Well, first, I think def- people should definitely check it out. Second of all, I think it's what's smart about it. Is, unlike Green Lantern, let's say Green Lantern was always a silly ass comic, but uh, you know they tried to put it on screen and it took itself too seriously, even though they got uh, a fairly comedic actor to do it. This, they know it's a comedy. The only way this will work is as a comedy, and it was smart to do, and it works as an action comedy.
0: So, reporting from the AMC Lowe's 34th, that was the first reaction of Shazam. So in the spirit of you and I discovering new US Latino podcasts, I invited Nick Leiber, he is the co-host of Don't Interrupt Me Por Favor, a bilingual radio show and podcast, uh, to tell us a little bit about the value proposition of his show, what inspired him and his co-host to do it, and the economical aspects of podcasting today. Uh, Nicholas, let's begin with the show, Don't Interrupt Me Por Favor, when was it originated?
3: So, so we do this show. There are three of us. We're three bilingual journalists from different
2: backgrounds.
3: Hola, Manos. Aquí estamos otra vez en Don't Interrupt Me, por favor. ¿Y quiénes somos? Vamos a presentarnos. Lisa, ¿cómo estás?
2: Hi. So estoy muy bien. I'm Lisa Button.
3: I'm Nick Lieber. Lisa Button is a, journalist, a journalism educator and journalist who, until very recently, was the managing editor of the Schuster Investigative Journalism Institute up at Brandeis University in Boston, Uh and she's an amazing journalist who just did an amazing story about, really about the effects of immigration policy, current immigration policy, on students and their parents. Uh Guillermo Fesser is another amazing journalist. Yeah, I really enjoy him. He's, He's from, originally from Madrid, and he's lived in the U.S. now for over a decade. Austria. (laughs) <laughs> and and he, he is a broadcast journalist. For many years, he hosted or co-hosted this radio show that he created in Spain called Goma Espuma, mm. Goma Espuma which was a beloved radio show, three hours of news and satire a day that he did. So we, we got together last year, and the three of us were talking about how much fun it would be to do a weekly show that celebrates bilingualism, mm. that celebrates people who speak, people who navigate two worlds, or maybe more than two worlds. And the the goal is really simple. We want you to hang out with us for about an hour on the radio or about half an hour in the podcast version, and and you're going to hang out with us and a guest or two who's done – some really interesting timely work
0: why why do these people why do these guests appeal to you in your show
3: I think it's amazing that someone can speak more than one language and can navigate more than one world and I think that celebrating these people and talking with these people is really a treat is a luxury is something that I love doing in the course of of writing a lot of stories over the years Um, I would come across these people who were doing amazing things and then it would turn out that they also spoke a few languages Mm -hmm. and they were really good at explaining something, some part of their work in in English, say, or in Spanish or in another language. And I thought, we should show these people off.
0: Bouncing off of that, what do you think is the value of Don't Interrupt Me, Por Favor, to the listeners?
3: I think, you know, I think you can get a few things out of this. You can... You know, as as the famous click and clack of car talk folks like to say, you can waste another perfectly good hour with us, you know, <laughs> laughing, having fun. You could learn something. You might learn something you didn't know about uh, the work that Jose Andres is doing around the world in Puerto Rico and Mozambique right now. You, But you could also learn an expression you didn't know that people use in... Uh, in New York City, or in Caracas, or in Mexico City, um, you you'll sort of stumble onto these different things, and you'll learn about these different people, and you'll you'll play around with language.
0: Now, I want to talk a little bit about you. Sure. Um, we met here uh, in uh, well, I'm not sure if you guys know, but uh, this show is actually being recorded at the Made in New York Center, uh, IFP uh, Incubator, uh, where they have a podcast studio. Uh, it's one of the reasons I actually came here. I met you because you also do a podcast, but one of the things that I noticed is that you're not natively Latino.
3: No, but I'm not, yet, I'm not, no. Yet, yet no. you
0: speak very well Spanish. Um, vamos a hablar un poquito en español. Vale, vale.
3: Tengo, t- Tengo un acento horrible, pero <laughs> entiendo todo.
0: Pero por qué hablas español? ¿Cu- bueno, como aprendiste? periodista,
3: como periodista, como niño, como, como un, un ser humano más joven, siempre quería ser periodista, y yo pensaba, conociendo muy poco, entendiendo muy poco como niño, que sería muy bueno aprender idiomas para poder entrevistar a gente y viajar a donde vive, donde trabaja, donde está gente inter- interesante y entonces por eso estuve trabajando varios años en España y viviendo en España, en Chile en Italia aprendiendo idiomas, aprendiendo culturas, pero también tuve un, un, un profe en, en el instituto buenísimo y yo creo que la chispa empezó con él.
0: Who's the best guest you've had on so far?
3: The best guest. Is I mean, Jose we, I mean, no, no. I mean, we've had so many. I don't want to. I don't want to say who. The, well, what's I, one
0: that stands out in your mind as? I mean, a one. Of, I think one. the
3: the uh, an interview that left me shaking. And I don't know if this is the best, but this is something that really stuck with me.
0: It's the most visceral. Then, yeah, probably. where
3: I, I was literally shaking after the show, like shaking, trembling. And that, that doesn't happen to me very often um, with, with doing the show. Um, was, a, was a guy named Manuel Oliver, who is uh, the father of uh, Joaquin Oliver, who was one of the students who was killed in the Parkland shootings. And he came on the show and he talked about his son. And he talked about using his art um, using his Manuel Oliver is an artist, is a graphic artist. He calls himself a graf, a graphic activist mm. and he's basically been going around the US and around the world and making art and talking about the problem obviously of losing your son to gun violence, but of the problem of gun violence mm-hmm. in this country. Uh, Manuel. Oliver is originally from Venezuela. That was a show. That was a person who, you know, who I found. I found the interview really honest, really powerful. Obviously, for me, really kind of scary. I have two daughters. Mm-hmm. They have to learn to do soft lockdowns. They have to learn how to do
0: hard lockdowns. Teachers now supposedly have to have guns <clears throat> in the classrooms. Well, I,
3: I hope I hope not in New York. Um, yeah. But you know, so that was powerful. You know, we, the following week we talked to someone named Edgardo Miranda Rodriguez who is actually another graphic who lives in the graphic novel comic book world who was also quite interesting. It was fun to talk with him about how he creates comic book characters and he wanted he's doing a lot with Latino empowerment, one of his comic book characters is this amazing? I think her name is La Borinquena. Mm-hmm. She has asthma. She went to Colombia. She's navigating these worlds. She's she's helping her. She's helping Puerto Rico.
0: I like to do pop culture because I don't want to hear those stories. Mm. They're unsettling to me, mm. and anything that's unsettling to me, I want to avoid. Mm. What I have noticed, though, th- what th- do you
3: talk to Christina Gallego, who ta- who who yes. did a movie that I, you know. But it's fairly a unsettling, you know. Yes,
0: but it's still a movie that we get to talk about film and we get to talk about production. Mm-hmm. We don't just talk about uh the first original derivation of the drug cartel in Colombia. It's not just about that. It's almost like an interpretation, an artistic re- uh, interpretation of of uh, of that part part in time and history. Um but the reason I don't do podcasts like yours I've always felt is because What value do these stories outside of unsettling someone, shaking someone to the root of their soul, what value is there that because you go to sleep with nightmares, you start looking at the world in a very negative way. Where is the happiness? Where is the joy in that conversation? And and it's one of the reasons that I don't do it yeah. because I don't see it. So can you educate me a little bit about my thinking? Sure. Yeah. About well, why yeah, yeah. those types of stories are valuable for people to listen to as opposed to maybe this podcast. That it's all about joy and happiness and fun and really sort of isolates negativity or any Murders, fires, crime, um, those types of stories that I, 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 after 9-11, I just couldn't deal with it.
3: Man. Well, I think, you know, I think I want to, I want to live in a place where, you know, I can walk down the street and I can talk to my neighbors and I can raise a family. And I think that in order to have that society that I want, that I aspire to, we need to talk about things that sometimes are unpleasant, are difficult. You know, if, um, if something isn't working in our society, if, if kids are being killed by, by guns, by gun violence, I think we need to talk about that because I don't want my kids to have to do hard lockdowns and soft lockdowns. It may be a selfish thing, but I think that, yes, that's unsettling and that is unpleasant. But in, until we start to talk about things, we, I won't, I won't, we, I won't be doing my part to contribute to a society that I want to live in. And I think that you can have a balance. I think you can both, you can have Christina Gallego on your show. Um, You can have the woman who created El Space on your show. You're doing, I mean, I think listening to your show, you're doing this. You might not, consciously be doing it but you right. want to live in a place where you want to live and you want to you know right i think you know we're we're doing our part and maybe we don't don't do it the right way at first and we learn and blah 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 but you know we're, we're having fun why are podcasts important today people have gotten into the habit not all of them but people have gotten the habit certainly of listening to the radio and the jump from radio to podcast makes sense I mean discovery is the big problem right how do you know that highly relevant with Jack Rico is there how do you tell people how do you know that don't interrupt me por favor is there how do you get the word out to people i mean but i think i think there is an appetite to stick things in your in your ears and go rake your leaves or go on your commute from point a to point b to work and hear something so i think it's 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 a tricky time, too, though, because lots of other people have realized that someone from WNYC mentioned 400 new podcasts are launched a day. I don't know if that's if that's true. Maybe it's 40. But still, that's a lot of new podcasts.
0: Uh, And before I let you go, are you guys monetizing your podcast? Because I think it's uh, it's important to talk about simply because there's a lot of people that want to do podcasts. Yes. But I don't think they understand the ramifications of the economy of podcasts. The people who do podcasts like myself look. I'm not getting paid for this podcast, and I've been doing it for two over a little bit over two years. Uh, in your case, are you making money off of this? Can you quit your full time job uh, to we, just become a host? We're of not
3: making money, and I can't quit my full time job. So why then do it? Well, we would like at some point to have it be sustainable. And if you look at the numbers, the bulk of the advertising is in radio. Some of it, a small fraction is starting to move over to podcasts. I think there will be a business here. I don't know who will make the bulk of the money, but ideally you know, we're doing this to have a sustainable show where we can say, hey, you know, we're gonna do this show and it's in two weeks and we're gonna be talking with a few people down in the Rio Grande um, and it would be great to physically go there, but we can't afford to do that right now because the show doesn't So make you
0: really it. do it a, a, as a labor of love. Well, we're,
3: we're, we're, we're experimenting to see if we can turn it into a sustainable jour- you know, audio journalism business. So ideally, we will figure out how to do that. Is that sponsorships? Is that advertising that runs at the beginning, middle, and end of the show? Is it um, a grant from an organization that wants to promote the idea of learning languages? I don't know we're but we're in the early days right now what we're really concerned about perhaps naively is let's make something that listeners want to listen to right which is you know but we have so which one is
0: it what's the catch here is it the you know the the chicken uh, i don't know the egg that's
3: a great question i mean we need to talk to people and say how do you make money doing this um you know so we're and you know we're trying to figure it out but i don't know i don't have the the magic Bullet secret solution. Uh, so, but for let, we'll t- let's talk after the show, and you know, I'll see how much money you have in your wallet, and you know, no. so <laughs> what
0: what what suggestions well, do you have? What advice do you have for those Hispanics that sure. want to create a podcast, knowing that there's no money in it right now?
3: Sure. To to well, to there, do that. I mean, I think there are some successful podcasts, and I think you can eventually make money if you produce something that lots and lots of people want to listen to. Um, but I would say, do some googling look, listen to things, read a lot. I know that Maria Hinojosa, I know that her Futuro Media Group has some kind of educational slash fellowship program for aspiring podcasters. I know that PRX and Google have a program, um, a training program for for podcasters. I know that there, there is a lot out there um, in terms of training, in terms of materials, in terms of reading, in terms of listening. Um, but you bring up a really good point. How do you make money from it? So also in, in doing your research, I would say also look and see if you can find um, specific courses, maybe at journalism schools, um, maybe on PRX's website, maybe on a website called Mm transom.org about, yeah, yeah, but about how people are creating business models to make their shows sustainable. And then once you've learned all this, please give me a call.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And get on my show. (laughs) (laughs) Nicholas, thank you so much for being uh, on the highly relevant podcast. The name of the show
3: is called Don't Interrupt Me, Por Favor. Where can people listen to it? You can find it on all of the major podcast platforms. You can find our Twitter. But if you, if you look around for Don't Interrupt Me, Por Favor, on places where you listen to podcasts, we hope you can find it. You should be able to find it. You can also find out what we're up to on inter- at Interrupt Show on Twitter. Thank you so much, Jack.
0: And that's it for episode 110 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I want to thank Isabella Regoza, Mike Sargent, and Nick Liber for coming on the show. And if you'd like to support the show, please spread the love on social media and pass the word to all of your friends. You can reach me on Instagram at Jack Rico and Facebook at JackRico40. Remember, it's only through your support that our show can grow. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant.